The House of Roll journeys far and wide to bring you exceptional quality kitchen and bath fixtures. We've discovered the world's best craftsmen and techniques. Using materials native to the region and tools accustomed to individual craftsmen, we strive for perfection every step of the way. With all of this, you'll see the details of your own story, the story of a life well-crafted. This is the story Craft tells. Welcome to the House of Roll. of America is being squandered. How are we going to restore our nation back to a sensible, citizen-centric government? This is my country. It's time for populism with a purpose. Welcome to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Joyce is a businesswoman, not a politician, and she's here to offer pragmatic, possible, and post-partisan solutions for the 21st century. Now, your host for Reimagine America, Joyce Cordy. And good morning, and welcome to the Reimagine America Radio Hour. Well, the World Series is set. It will be the Red Sox, and the Dodgers, an old-fashioned series, should be interesting. Also, we now have a $1.6 billion lottery. It's interesting how they display that on the highway signs. There aren't, you know, the normal sign doesn't accommodate billions. (laughs) So they had to jerry-rig it. So it says 1.6. And then it has billions in little letters underneath it. So I'll be buying another ticket. I actually won four bucks this week. So um, hope springs alive. Just think what we could do with $1.6 billion. Over the past few days, wall-to-wall televised fire, fury, and bedevilment, what now passes for governing, was well ahead of the imagination of any successful Hollywood scriptwriter. My purpose is different. I want to inform you, to give you information that will enable you to make an independent judgment on current events and to encourage you to act on that judgment. As a businesswoman, I focus a lot on the numbers. The numbers tell me what is out of the norm, what needs attention, what needs immediate triage, and then how to prioritize the necessary changes. And so this week, there's only one remaining solution to explaining the murder of Washington Post columnist Jamal Khashoggi. We could try the truth. There are two California congresswomen, maybe three, who subscribe to the idea that I am a termite. There are three remaining ballot propositions that we haven't yet discussed, so we will this morning. And I have to ask in this stealth gubernatorial campaign, how in the heck can $14 million not be enough when you have the built-in advantages of Gavin Newsom. 
why do we have an almost invisible gubernatorial contest? And 55 gallons a day. That's what the state legislature believes a family of four should use in water. Conservation, ladies and gentlemen, alone will not solve California's perpetual water crisis. But let's take a couple moments before we talk about propositions to talk about Jamal Khashoggi. It's been a couple of weeks, and the last week has been filled with daily theories surrounding his mysterious disappearance from the uh, Saudi embassy in Istanbul. First, the Saudis wanted us to believe that he left the embassy by the back door, and they had no idea what happened to him after that. And finally, on Friday, we got an announcement that he had died accidentally in the consulate in a fistfight. He is an overweight 60-year-old journalist. And they had 15 members of a Saudi security team who just wanted to talk to him. And he lost the fistfight. <laughs> I have to laugh out loud because that is laugh out loud funny, if it weren't so serious and so tragic. And if that were the truth, why didn't they immediately turn over his body to his fiancée who was waiting outside the embassy? What's most embarrassing is that President Trump greeted this new revelation from the Saudis as progress. Progress it sounds more like a discarded plot idea from a Vince Flynn spy thriller. And, and regular listeners know that I'm a major fan of the genre of spy thrillers. I'm reading um, Daniel Silva's The Other Woman right now. I just, I mean, it is the discarded plot of a Vince Flynn spy thriller. As a matter of fact, there is a, a, a Mitch Rabb story that follows in its early stages along this, these exact lines. So maybe they borrowed it. But in that, in that discarded plot idea, Mitch would dispatch the rogue Saudi henchmen and secure Mohammed bin Salm's uh, courtly exile in the process before exposing and apprehending the rogue U.S. participants in the plot. Enough. The truth is staring us in the face. A 15-minute a 15-member hit squad was sent to Istanbul to bring Kosogi back dead or alive. And that hit squad could not have been dispatched with or without a bone saw, but with a forensics expert whose specialty is rapid autopsy. None of that could have happened without the permission of the crown prince. If it was an accident, the world would not be hunting for the body or the body parts. Putin is correct. For once, the United States must have one and only one standard for what is political murder and how we deal with it. In the Russian case, the victim was a former spy who survived, but serious sanctions were quickly imposed throughout the NATO world. In this case, the victim is a permanent resident of the United States whose children are U.S. citizens. And our president says he can't sanction them 
because of some mythical arms deal. I don't think our values and our morality are are for sale for only $100 million. So I think Congress needs to act and act swiftly. They have to do more than borrow. I was the first one on on um, on Twitter that I saw who used the expression, you don't bring a bone saw to a fistfight. It's now been copied by countless members of Congress and the United States Senate. I always say I'm not that original, so somebody else must have thought about it about the same time I did. But I sure wish I had all those Twitter followers <laughs> for the people who are uh, picking that up. But the fact of the matter is, all humor aside, that Congress needs to take on the challenge of making this wrong right. That means hearings this very week. They don't have to be in public. They don't have to tell us. But Secretary Pompeo and DNI Coates have got to go talk to the Senate Intelligence Committee Monday or Tuesday at the latest. And yes, we have to face facts. The Saudis murdered a permanent resident of the United States, the father of United States citizens, and we need to sanction the holy bejeebers out of them. They need to understand that to be an ally of the United States means to act in an upright, honest, and moral way. It's time to return to our values. And let's take just one minute to talk about another subject. We heard a lot this week about white supremacy groups and white supremacy groups who want to subvert the Republican Party from within. It was all over CNN, MSNBC, and Fox. But we didn't hear anything, hardly a whisper on ABC and on Fox, but nothing on MSNBC, nothing on NBC or CBS about recent remarks by Louis Farrakhan referring to American Jews as termites. And I've got about 30 seconds worth of comment when we come back from break. And then we're going to turn to California and its crazy election. You're listening to Reimagine America on 860 AM, The Answer. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. And we're back with just about 30 seconds on Louis Farrakhan, and then we are going to turn to California's crazy, crazy election. So I'm going to fess up. Um, I'm not a huge human being. Those of you who have ever seen me know that. I'm, I'm uh, not really tall. Uh <clears throat> So my dad used to call me Flea when I was little because I was really tiny. But that was a straight a, a, a term of endearment that I will have to say lasted into adulthood. But that's really different. It's different than calling someone a termite. Term, calling a group of people for how they practice and worship God, okay, um, it, uh, termites, is hate speech, and it needs to be condemned as such rather than politely applauded by members of Congress who are quick to call their Republican colleagues racists. So let's name a few names. Barbara Lee, Maxine Waters, 
John Lewis, who really does know better, Cory Booker, Kamala Harris, and yes, Nancy Pelosi. Because Nancy Pelosi is always out there rushing to condemn racism when you talk about the immigration crisis on the southern border. But there wasn't even a whisper when Louis Farrakhan made the evening news referring to American Jewry as a bunch of termites. Can you say hypocrisy? Can you say, no, you can't come to APAC. You can't claim to be my friend when you condone such speech. Let's remember that Louis Farrakhan is not even allowed in the African History Museum. Stokey Carmichael is there, but there's no mention of Farrakhan. Anti-Semitism is racism by any other name, whether it's spoken from a white or a brown or a black pulpit. So if you want to know more about Mr. Farrakhan and his relationship to the Black Congressional Caucus, go to reimagineamerica.org and do a search on our April 22nd podcast, and you'll find a full explanation of the Farrakhan uh, uh, <coughs> situation in that podcast. And in the meantime, I think Vince has a question. Well, I was trying to go back through your Twitter feed there, and I thought I read somewhere that you, you said that hate speech is not free speech. Is that what you believe? Yes. I believe that hate speech, whether it's on the right or on the left, is not free speech. I respectfully disagree. Hate speech is free speech. It might not be nice speech. It might be inappropriate speech. It uh, might be derogatory, but he's entitled to think that, unfortunately, that Jews are termites. And uh, while I don't uh, appreciate that sentiment, and I think it's ignorant and uh, bigoted, um, he can't get arrested for that. He can't get, uh, you know, charged for that. It's just a thought. Um, but I, I believe that free speech doesn't mean freedom of consequences. Now, when he says something uh, derogatory about uh, a group, a religious group, or an ethnic ethnic group, uh, he can he can pay the price in potentially being deplatformed. The the like with Twitter, I think Twitter has a really weird application of their terms of service because. It, I think he did. He say this on Twitter, wasn't it? On Twitter, it was. It was said in a speech. Okay. In a in a major gathering. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And a video of that speech did appear on, on Twitter. Twitter. Yeah, and people have gotten in trouble for having derogatory commentary or whatever being posted v- via video on Twitter. So I think Twitter is well within their right to curb any speech that they find harmful or whatnot. But I don't think what he said was illegal. Well, I don't think it's illegal. I think it's immoral. Yeah. Uh, And there's a big difference. And so when members of Congress, people who swear an oath to the Constitution uh, to um, ignore uh, you know, that, that we we believe that we are equal regardless of race, religion, or national origin. They swear that oath. When they then support Farrakhan, 
they support the contravention of their own constitutional oath. And you also have to understand that what Farrakhan does is to reinforce a narrative which most of us who understand the contributions that um, that American Jewry made in the civil rights uh, era, uh, and John Lewis knows well that John Lewis get, goes to Farrakhan gatherings, applauds this man, listens to this speech, and thus gives credence within the black community to uh, that kind of hate speech that um, history tells us leads to violence. Right. And I, I think it's unfortunate that, uh, you know, he can get away with these comments and these people who are in uh, in public office aren't going to denounce it. I, I, and that's my and that's my whole reason for putting this little piece of of um, narrative into the show this morning is that um, the hypocrisy of the Black Caucus in the House of Representatives uh, and now members of the United States Senate um, is is beyond, you can't ignore it. Um, you know, two of the people on that list want to be president of the United States. Nancy Pelosi wants to be the third person in line again to be the president of the United States. They have a responsibility to um, to denounce this kind of speech, not support it, and and yeah. that's my and that was my point. I you know I fully subscribe to the First Amendment. That's why we're sitting here. I know there are a lot of our listeners who don't always agree with me, um, but it's my microphone and I get to say it. Um, and and so I I think it's the hypocrisy um, that I find um, uh, just shocking. And it is also that history tells us that um, when you reinforce these sorts of stereotypes from both the right and the left, that it leads to violence. And we have seen that kind of violence on our college campuses. So that's the end of my sermon. And let's talk about some Amen. propositions. Amen. Let's move on Let, to the more important things. Yeah, let's move on to the things we can control. Okay, like the propositions. So before we talk about the three propositions we didn't get to last week, 10, 11, and 12, let's go back for just a minute and talk about six and eight again. We're going to talk briefly about Proposition 6 because I had some emails that uh, uh, pointed out to me that I was not crystal clear in how, where I stood on this. The 25-cent gasoline increase, gasoline tax increase that was voted by the state legislature is, in the words of the Los Angeles Times, not known for its conservative positions. The L.A. Times says this tax is the most regressive tax ever passed in California, that 95% of the tax will be paid by people with vehicles valued at less than $24,000, and only 1% will be paid by the Tesla crowd. So a yes vote on Proposition 6 will repeal the tax. And of course, the legislature, lazy legislature, um, and the, uh, the other opponents of this proposition say, 
if we do that, if we vote yes on this, they're going to punish us because all work on deficient bridges, roads, et cetera, will stop immediately. And that is simply not true. There is more than $35 billion worth of transportation projects underway right now in California. They are funded. They're funded with a combination of state, local, and federal taxes already allocated. So the passage of this proposition does nothing to prevent the legislature from going back to the drawing board and coming up with a new proposal to fund new roads and road repairs in excess of that $35 million, okay? But a proposal that fairly meets the needs of the people of California. And then they can put that proposal on the 2020 ballot. So that's where we stand on Proposition 6. And before we talk about Proposition 8 and the stealth gubernatorial election, we're going to take a quick commercial break. Back to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy on 860 AM, The Answer. Proposition 8, the one that you see so many television commercials about, regulates licensed private dialysis community uh, clinics, treatment centers. Um, It's a scam. Turns out... (laughs) Thank you once again to the L.A. Times. Uh, Turns out that both sides of this argument are supported by the same people. For-profit clinics, for-profit insurers, and for-themselves service employee international nurses. What it requires is rebates to private insurers for revenue over 115% of cost. But there's a catch. First... They don't have to share those rebates with the consumers, with the patients who are paying the premiums, okay? And secondly, the more the costs go up, proportionately, the profits also increase. So if you multiply 100 by, uh, you know, 15, um, you get 15. If you multiply it 1,000 by 15, you get 150. You get my drift. So... Um, when you try to scam the people of California, we're smarter than that. And that's definitely, uh, while I haven't been really specific on many of these propositions about how I'm going to vote on them, this is definitely a proposition we do not want to pass. Nobody benefits except the for-profit clinics, the for-profit insurers, and the for-themselves service employee international nurses union. There is no Proposition 9 that was removed from the ballot by the order of the state Supreme Court, and that was the uh, initiative, um, uh, the, the argument about dividing California into three states. It was found to be unconstitutional. <clears throat> Prop 10, we've heard a lot about Prop 10. It is not a rent control measure. It will not make housing more affordable. It's a measure that authorizes towns and cities to set up rent control boards if they don't already have them. And it allows rent control now to be applied to housing built after 1995. 
and it covers single-family homes as well as multiple unit dwellings. What it will actually do is risk reducing the stock of, of quality housing that's available on the market because it will not be attractive to developers to develop. Although we are finding um, in um, recent months that we, are we have developed a glut of high-end um, multiple family housing and that some of those rents are actually declining by, <gasps> drum roll please, oh, 1% so far. Um, but I think as we see more of those units, uh, quite predictably based on what's happening um, in other parts of the state, uh, we will see some slight decrease. However, back to Prop 10. Prop 10 doesn't really do anything. It doesn't change the dynamics of affordable housing at all. One, cities and states are not required to set up these rent boards. Um, they're not required to apply them. And, and lastly, if you're a landlord and you think you're going to be limited in your ability to meet your increased costs by passing them along in rent increases over 5%, you are liable not to invest in residential real estate for rental purposes, uh, which could actually diminish the amount of housing that's available and increase the affordability crisis. So while um, I believe that you, we need to address the affordability crisis, and we need to address it urgently, that that requires legislative action on a broader scale of regulation, et cetera. And this particular proposition, uh, while it may make you feel better if you vote yes on it, will do nothing to change the trajectory of housing in California. So Proposition 11 is going to be real quick. Um, it's private sector emergency workers um, uh, will be allowed to remain on duty during their breaks. So what it does is nothing more than codify into law messing up the Constitution, why this has to be a constitutional amendment, I don't quite understand. Um, and, and it results from a court decision that uh, says under existing California labor law, these private um, emergency, private company emergency workers have to turn their communication devices off on their rest breaks. So, um, because they would not be compensated for those rest breaks. And so, what we're, all we're doing is codifying existing practice. There is no known opposition. And Proposition 12, here's another boondoggle. Proposition 12 is another opportunity for the United States Humane Society to fund its own political pack for its own political purposes. You remember Proposition 2 a few years back was going to bring us bigger cages for hens? Um <clears throat> cages that already existed in California, because California has had for the last hundred years some of the most aggressive farm animal safety legislation in the country. And here's another reason not to vote for a big regulatory environment to do something um, that cannot happen in California, the pictures that you saw uh, would not be that you see in the ads would not be legal in the state today. 
But the fact of the matter is that, that people want their food to come from humanely humane farms where animals are treated well because it ensures the safety of both the animals and our consciences and the food supply. And so it is that without any legislation, big grocers like Walmart and Safeway, Whole Foods, um, big uh, fast food restaurants like McDonald's and Taco Bell, have been working with their suppliers to achieve these humane and comfortable condition standards for quite some time. You can't sell eggs at Safeway or Walmart that are, you know, come from caged, um, uh, unsafe uh, hens, uh, ex- for example. So <clears throat> the mandates are already here. The marketplace is demanding them. Why would we want to set up another expensive regulatory environment? It makes no sense for California. It would make sense in Arkansas to do some of this legislation. But heck, there'd be no money in Arkansas, okay, to fill the coffers of the United States Humane Society's political pack. And in the last couple of minutes we have in this segment, let's turn to the gubernatorial election. I like to call it the stealth election because never in my um, memory, and I am a native Californian, have I seen a gubernatorial election in which there were not primetime televised debates both in Northern and Southern California that uh, with, with, you know, major in the primary it was... um, Chuck Todd from uh, Meet the Press, who was the moderator. And in this gubernatorial election, with issues as large as fundamental affordability, with 134,000 people sleeping on the streets on any given night, with uh, problems with trade, with a quarter of the illegal um, immigration population, with three-hour waits at the DMV, we're not having a single solitary debate. One little radio debate they had at 10 o'clock in the morning on public radio. Big deal. There are no debates. We have no idea. And why? Because Gavin Newsom does not want to debate. Because if he debates, he gives a platform to John Cox, who lacks uh, the amount of funding that Gavin Newsom has. Gavin Newsom has been the heir apparent, the crown prince, for more than the last decade. So why mess up a certain election? I mean, it's, you won't even find, uh, Gavin Newsom does not even believe it is his responsibility to give you a candidate statement in the official um, ballot uh, information booklet. Okay, it's all about 30 second television commercials because I went to his website and looked for a single solitary statement of policy. I don't think either of these people is the right person to govern California at this critical juncture. But there is a certain kind of hubris in the slick, glossy, gossamer, televised candidacy of Gavin Newsom.
You're listening to Reimagine America on 860 AM, The Answer. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. And just before we have a couple of final thoughts about the governor's race and turn to some of the other constitutional officers. Now, I don't believe, barring an eight-point earthquake that liquefies either San Francisco's Soma District or the L.A. Miracle Mile between now and the first Tuesday in November, I don't think there's a plausible path of, to victory for Cox. But that doesn't mean that it's not important to go out and vote for him. It is. Narrowing Newsom's margin of victory and denying the Democrats a supermajority in the state legislature is a vital goal and an important responsibility of every Californian. Governor Brown has repeated in his State of the State address a reminder to his fellow Democrats that they must be cognizant of the fact that they represent the crowded urban areas of California only, and that there is a large population, almost 50% of the population, that's not crowded into those narrow spaces, and that their interests are equal and must be respected. Do not expect even that small measure of bipartisanship from Gavin Newsom. The only thing that will stop him is the fear that not heaving at some points to the center politically may prematurely cost him his governorship and his own presidential ambitions. Because you know what? Gavin Newsom is so unprepared to do the really big stuff that must be done for this state, and I don't mean social justice issues, I mean the bread and butter issues of affordability, jobs, fair taxation, etc. Because he has zero record in those areas. I can almost see a Gray Davis scenario in coming out of the hubris of a Newsom landslide. So let's not give him that landslide. And again, I don't think either candidate has the proven track record to govern the state effectively. But those are the choices that we will need to make. And you can't ignore the lieutenant governor's race either. The winner wants to be the next in line to be governor. And it's not surprising that both of them are Democrats. Eleni uh, Kolonakakis, and I'm sorry, my Greek's not really good, um, is endorsed by former President Obama. She is a longtime Democratic activist who served as the ambassador to Hungary in the Obama administration. Her family's been involved in housing development in Sacramento for many years. Her dad is a developer, and that developer contributed $5 million to his daughter's campaign. Just think, if he took $5 million, he could have helped 100 California families afford their first home. I hate generalities. She is, after all, a Haas UC Berkeley School, uh, School of Business um, MBA. I hate general, to generalize, but I wouldn't look to her to help solve the affordability crisis in California in housing. Her opponent <coughs> is Ed Hernandez. He's a state senator, a small business owner uh, who uses the expression expanding health care rather than 
the more common universal health care. And that's because he knows we're not going to get universal health care. He's a doctor. He's an optometrist who practiced in the San Gabriel Valley before running for the state legislature in 2006. He has a track record of legislative accomplishment. Uh, whether you <clears throat> completely agree with the solutions that the legislature passed, he's been a leader in education, clean air and water. Um, he's worked to lower prescription prices through transparency, which I don't know if that's the total solution, but it's a place to begin. Um, it's not the total solution, but it is a place to begin. And he's advocated for stronger protections against sexual harassment, beginning especially in the state legislature itself. While the office has no real power, Hernandez is more the traditional, what we call blue dog Democrat, than is the progressive Conalacacus. And so Senator Hernandez has earned the endorsement of both the San Francisco Chronicle and the Los Angeles Times. <clears throat> Secretary of State, we've got a Republican running as a challenger who wants to, quote, clean up the voter rolls. We didn't have a problem with voter rolls that had more voter, more people enrolled than we actually have voters in the state when Bruce McPherson, the last Republican, was the Secretary of State. This is a problem we can solve. It's a matter of diligence and doing the work. It's, it's not very flashy, but it's totally necessary to uh, assuring the integrity of the voting process. Alex Padilla, on the other hand, touts that he has added millions of new voters to the rolls. Well, that's well and fine. Uh, it includes at least uh, 25,000 who were not who were found so far not to be eligible to vote. Again, integrity in the voter rolls is really important, and this is a problem that we can solve if you vote for Mark Muser. I wouldn't expect that of Padilla. And in the controller's race, um, we have an incumbent Democrat, Betty Yee, um, who spent 30 years in state government. Um, and, I, and I don't have a problem with that. Because you know what? She has no power. The state controller pays the bills. They don't set the policy. What you need to change to change the trajectory of California spending is to change the policymakers. So um, I don't have, um, personally, a big horse in that race. When it comes to attorney general, we have a choice between a retired judge, Stephen Bailey, um, who has been an important part for many years of strengthening our criminal justice system in California, and the Democratic incumbent, Xavier Becerra, who is a career politician with a law degree. But he's never practiced law, and he still doesn't. He practices politics through the courts. Now, there are two people who I will vote for enthusiastically. One is Steve Poisner, who is running for the second time for insurance commissioner. And Steve did an incredible job during his four years in that job. Uh, he is the right person for that job today. Uh, and because of that, he has, while he is running as an independent, he is a conservative. He has the endorsement of both the Los Angeles Times and the San Jose Mercury News, and he deserves your vote. And last but not least comes Marshall Tucker, 
Marshall Tucker has been a leader in the charter school movement in Southern California. The schools in which he's been involved have shown tremendous progress. But more than that, EdSource, probably the most um, effective and well-respected education reform think tank policy organization, uh, et cetera, supports Marshall Tucker over a traditional school superintendent. And if you really want to see somebody who comes from a bipartisan position of concern and love for our children and wanting the best for them, um, you've probably seen Arne Duncan, the first um, Obama administration uh, secretary of education, um, endorse Marshall Tucker. And, And in this case, that endorsement is a reason to vote yes on Marshall. We need new thinking. We need to revolutionize and reform the way in which we educate our children. And so um, I'm going to go out on a limb and not be neutral and say um, I'm going to vote for Marshall Tucker with my with fingers crossed. And I hope you will do the same. And we'll be back in just a moment with a couple of closing thoughts. <clears throat> Back to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy on 860 AM, The Answer. And we're back with just a few closing thoughts. You know, when you look at um, California's battle, the immigration battle with the federal government, it really doesn't matter. When California sanctuary laws get to the Supreme Court, it really will not matter whether it was Merrick Garland or Brett Kavanaugh sitting in that ninth seat. Because what does matter and has mattered for 240 years is the constitutional supremacy clause that says the federal government is responsible for immigration, citizenship, um, and um, defense of the borders. So uh, just for what it's worth, it wouldn't matter who was sitting in that seat. Um, The Supreme Court has expanded that supremacy over immigration uh, in every decision in the last 200 years. So looking forward to next week, um, Robert Pearl is going to join us again, the former CEO of Kaiser Permanente. And, And um, Dr. Pearl has written an analysis of, Gov- of Gavin Newsom's plan for universal health care. And his analysis, based on real facts and on-the-ground experience, is both informed and informative. So you're going to want to tune in, and then you're going to want to share his findings uh, and conclusions within your own network. I'm going to remind you again that Jeff Denham's seat in California District 10 is still rated as a toss-up. Jeff needs and deserves your help. So if you can help by knocking on doors, because it's just south of of where we are, or or you can send a contribution, um, please do that. He's uh, genuinely um, a a moderate centrist um, Republican who who deserves our 
um, support and and does a good job for the state of California. He's was vital in the passage of the executive agreement, the uh, executive order that was just signed by um, President Trump to uh, speed up the regulatory process around um, both capturing more water in Lake Shasta and how we distribute it through the Delta. So if you haven't already checked out our new Reimagine America website, please do so. Uh, I'm going to apologize. I didn't get a thought up every day this week. Um, It was just kind of a crazy political week, and so it didn't make sense. But, boy, you will have found me on Twitter. um, And my Twitter handle, Joyce Cordy, all small letters, one word, J-O-Y-C-E-C-O-R-D-I, or the Reimagine America Radio Hour. Uh, And we will... And so you're always happy to follow along, and my Twitter feed is also featured on the new website. I know what interests me. You know, I've got some invitations out to some people in November on subjects that are more long-term and less short-term. I know what interests me, but what's more important is what interests you. So if you've got questions or topics that you want to ask or get answered on the air, send me an email at joyce at reimagineamerica.org. And I do try to respond to as many listener comments as possible. Reimagine America is independent and nonprofit. If you appreciate our independent, results-oriented, post-political voice, please consider making a small donation at reimagineamerica.org. And until next week, don't forget, mail that ballot. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.